What are your thoughts on pineapple on pizza? No, incorrect. So like never Hawaiian ever. Disgusting. Although I love ham and cheese. Okay. Just no pineapple. No, I just think pineapple shouldn't be warm or hot. Although I like fruit puddings. Like I like I like like apple crumble, for oh, example. Yeah. But that's the same it's the same thing Stewed as like huge fruit. Yeah. yeah. But it's I don't think it's the same when it's sweet. I'm a dichotomy. <laughs> Josephine. Do you think one day um, at the beginning of the episode in our cold open, we should have the way that we transition between just chatting and actually recording the podcast? No. Okay. I like it that it's just completely separate and no <laughs> one knows when or where it is. Or how it happens. Yeah. And then Andrew just picks some random part of our random conversation and then suddenly organic. the podcast is starting. <laughs> Hello and welcome to my favourite musical, the podcast. It's a podcast about musicals. You idiot. <laughs> Duh. No, I wasn't saying Ruth is an idiot. You're an idiot. She was saying I was an idiot. You're not, Ruth. That's Ruth. Uh, that's Josephine. Yeah. Um. Yeah, how are you? Good. Yeah? How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Did you have a good day today? It was good. I've been watching Search Party, the show Search Party. That's the one with um Maybe. Yeah, from Arrested Development. Yeah. Actually, Alia Shawkat. So you just asked me how I am and I say good and that's like my pet hate. Yeah. I shouldn't say that. Well, I'm well, uh, although I have a headache. Oh, that's no good. Yeah, whatever. Um, keep up your fluids. Alia. Alia, right? I like that name. Yeah. Um, She's awesome. Also, it's filmed in New York, so there's lots of random Broadway cameos in it. Nice. Like Bonnie Milligan is cool. like a, a little character in it, and so is Natalie Walker, and I love both of those actresses. Yeah. And like Christine Ebersole's in it, and like mm. there's lots of great little, yeah. Christine Ebersole is like the ultimate evil witch in my head oh interesting like i know she's she's got that like really sweet look about her but in my head she's like the ultimate evil character yeah yeah i saw her in war paint oh yeah with patty lapone nice. and although i didn't think that show was particularly good they You've were said both, that they were both incredible well they're both amazing yeah. except for patty lapone oh you shut <laughs> up you are incorrect like uh, objectively incorrect yeah 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 whatever maybe more than about anything in your life i Wow, that is powerful what you've just said to me. (laughs) This is episode 21, did you know? I know. Yeah. It's exciting. Uh, We did our big Hamilton episode last week. Yeah, I hope everyone listened. It was fun to do. It was so fun. We fully nerded out. You know, one thing I forgot to mention on that episode is that they have universal swings. So, like, there are people, there's like, I think there's like four people and they could go from like either one of the national tours to like the sit down production in San Francisco to the production in New York, just depending on like where they're needed kind of thing. And it's like, yeah. So literally like they might be be doing Chicago. Yeah. Right. Shit. Cause it's not like you're just replacing a character in a show. You've got to then think which show am I doing? Yeah. And because literally they would all be slightly different sizes in terms of, you know, like, where you have to hit as a dancer and stuff like that. <laughs> Different feels to the company. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. That Isn't is that fascinating. amazing? I, yeah. I, I wonder what the point of that is, but anyway. Well, I think it's just, yeah, they've got so many productions running that it's like, yes. well, these swings can do all of them. <laughs> I hope they get paid well. <laughs> yes, fucking I. Yeah. That actually leads into my apology really well. Does it? I have an apology. Last week, obviously, our big Hamilton episode, Ruth, through to me to give you the synopsis and I what you won't know 
because I'm such a great actress, is that I gave her crazy eyes and, and was trying to ESP her like, I don't, I don't have the fucking synopsis prepared. <laughs> what the fuck? And <laughs> so after the episode she was like, we texted about this. You said you would do the synopsis. You clearly didn't do the synopsis. And, yes, it's true. That I does went, make it sound like I somewhat attacked you after the episode. <laughs> but when, in fact, like, I was like, I'm sure we talked about this, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. We had yeah. talked about it. I just fucked up. So for that muddled – I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm sure it's a very muddled synopsis. <laughs> my only other I apology, apologize. <laughs> my only other apology is that I think I called the um, lighting designer Howard Binkley and it's Howell Binkley. You idiot. But I feel bad because he just recently passed away yeah. and he's a genius. Yeah. So How? I am sorry. How? Howell as in H-O-W-E-L? L-L, yeah. E-L-L. Yeah. That's a cool name. And he's a genius. So Well, we bad. both messed up royally. <laughs> we were just <laughs> Mainly too me. much in our heads with all the Hamilton research. <laughs> oh, God. Um, do you have any spotlights for us I today, do. Ruth? Uh, like I sort of have gone down this path before in terms of my spotlights and I, it's a path that I really love. Hmm. So today I'm doing um, a playwright and actress called Dominique Morisot and she is someone who like primarily is a playwright but has also written the book of a musical. Oh, wow. And so like I um, I have done uh, Katori Hall I think and like yes. a few others before. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, she – actually became a playwright. She was studying as an actress at the University of Michigan and basically was like, oh, there's no parts for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, obviously hell. she's a, um, a black woman, an African-American woman, and was just like, yeah, no, like there's no parts for me. I'm going to start writing them instead. Yes. Um, so she's written several plays um, that have been produced like all over America. I think it was in 2015 she was on the list of like one of the 10 most produced playwrights in America, which is quite amazing really. Like 10 overall? Yeah. Oh, shit. Or maybe it was like new play. Yeah, there might have been like I'm sure they don't count like Arthur Miller and stuff in that list. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but she said several plays that have been produced in New York City, including at Lincoln Center and the Atlantic Theatre Company. Right. And she's also a co-producer on the Showtime television series Shameless. Oh, wow. That's a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Um She's a two-time winner of the NAACP Image Award, which Mm. celebrates the outstanding achievements and performances of people in colour in the arts. And she was also the recipient of one of the 2018 MacArthur Genius Grants. Oh, wow. So, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda got one of those, I think, in 2015, somewhere like that, 2015. Um, Yeah, it's basically just, like, it's such an amazing program, actually. I don't know if you know much about it, but it's just, like... I think you get it's like six hundred and something thousand dollars over the course of five years, and it's people from so like we're talking about people in the theater, but it's not just that; it's like no. scientists and like entrepreneurs and just like, like people who are doing good shit in their field. Yeah, and yeah. literally they just recognize. Yeah, they're like we think these people are a genius at what they're doing. Here's um, some time and money to exactly to do your thing. So maybe you don't have to worry about living costs so much yeah. in that it's time. It's so good. I love it. Yeah. So yeah. So she um she won that in two thousand and eighteen. Wow. Um, so the reason I'm mentioning her today is she wrote the book to Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. Nice. And that marked her Broadway debut in 2019. And she received a Tony, Tony nomination for the best book of a musical at the 2019 Tony Awards, becoming the first ever black woman to receive a nomination. Oh, in that wow. Category. Yeah, only last year. So previously her plays hadn't made it to Broadway? Not Broadway, only off-Broadway. Okay, all right. Yeah, so she had quite a few off-Broadway but yeah. nothing on Broadway. Oh, Once wow. again, kind of highlighting what we've talked about before. Absolutely. I'm sure some mediocre white man got there instead of her. Um, but, yeah, like I, 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 I think I mentioned it before, but, like, there just – there seems to be this real trend of these, like, 
really amazing playwrights, like getting them to write books, especially of like the jukebox musicals. Yes. And I really love it. Well, also because jukebox mu- musicals need that. Well, and they don't, don't have I mean, a compo- – like the yeah. book writer is the one who shapes the work. And in my experience of, of certainly older jukebox musicals, that's always where they fall apart and yeah. shit, just terrible books. Yeah. So we need awesome playwrights to write the books exactly. of jukebox musicals. So, yeah. So, and actually like Ain't Too Proud's really good. It's one of the um, – uh yeah like it it didn't it didn't win that many tonys but like it could have easily and it was pretty popular wasn't yeah. it yeah yeah nice oh yeah that's like great. it was selling really well ah oh, that was a good COVID spotlight hit. yeah nice dominique morisot awesome mine um i'm keeping with my musical theme for today so i want to talk about shell williams mm. So she's a really dynamic creative. She started working in the industry as a performer. She was in the original ensemble of Aida, which I'm going to talk about. I don't know why I said it like that. Spoiler alert. Aida. Well, they saw it when they clicked on this episode, (laughs) idiot. I've said that word so many times today. I'm sorry. You're not an idiot. So Shell Williams was in the original ensemble of Aida. She's been in hair and chess as a performer, but she's recently been working as a director. So she was the associate director of Motown the Musical on Broadway in 2013. Um, And she's set to direct the upcoming Broadway revival and national tour of Aida. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is really cool. She was also an integral part of Blackfeet United and continues Mm -hmm. to be part of that. And she's assembled like a really diverse creative team for Aida, which is something that I'll talk about later. It's very exciting. So, yeah, like watch this space. I think more female BIPOC um, directors are just a really important step for theatre because like I I really was struggling to find good examples of female um, directors who are also women of colour. Yeah. So, yeah, she's doing great stuff. So her name's Shell Williams and, yes, stay tuned for that revival. Yeah. Which is exciting. Yeah. Um, What's our theatre explained for this week? It's a ghost light. Do you want to tell us about it? Sure. So a ghost light is basically – an electric light that's left, you know, on, on the stage of a theatre when it's unoccupied and would otherwise be dark. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the broad definition of it. Yeah. Um, there's lots of theories as to how they came about. Like, yeah, I find it quite interesting. Yeah, me too. Like, and no one has really settled on, like, the one thing that it kind of came from, which yeah. is, like, a lot of theatre traditions, I guess. Yeah. Um, but some of the th- theories that I read about were that um, it was so no one would fall into the orchestra pit uh, <laughs> off the stage when, that's important. Um, you know, that's the only light that's on. Um, so the, the theatre ghost has company and can yes, see around. I like that. Um, j- uh, just sort of to say that we'll be back. Like hmm. this isn't, it's not, you know, well, we're going to be back to, yeah. Like there are a lot of good examples in this COVID time of yeah. theatres keeping their ghost lights on. Yeah, particularly like in Australia in particular, I noticed yeah. that because there was a lot of like at the Opera House, they did it in all the theatres and yes. they just they said we put it in a really like low wattage LED thing so it's, they can burn forever. Yeah. Um, it's not going to use up all this electricity and yeah, yeah. we want that to as a sign. There was like some people that thought it could have been an old fire code requirement. Yes. Like, like, cause you know how there's lots of things with the fire codes back in the day. Yeah. Well, I read to, I don't know if you'll mention this, but like the gaslight, the ghost lights used to be gas powered. Mm. So they, and literally like with a gas light, cause it obviously has a gas line to it. You need to have like a bit of, a bit of that valve turned on so that there wasn't like uh, a like a great confluence of gas. Ah. So it would be like a safety thing that they'd have to keep that light slightly burning. Yeah. So there was a constant stream of gas instead of having it sort of like extinguished. And exactly. Then, yeah. And then, yeah. So that's interesting. interesting. Mm. I also read that it could have been that it was a union requirement that there is at least one light on 
like so the pianist can see what they're playing like at rehearsals. Oh God, imagine if that was you were yeah. only playing to the ghost light. I know. <laughs> I strain much. Yeah, but yeah. So those were all the reasons I found. Yeah. It's, but if I think you, it's a wonderful It's tradition. wonderful. Well, yeah. I love seeing all the theatres at the moment who have their ghost lights yeah. on because there's no theatre happening, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And, like, it is quite a haunting image as it well. It is, Just yeah. of a bare stage with a light on, a single light on yeah. it. Yeah. I like to think that it's company for the ghost. Yeah, I think that's really great. Yeah, that's my favourite There's one. so many theatre ghost, like, stories. Every theatre has a ghost, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Cool. And do you have any recommendations for us I today? I do. So... This week. Yeah, settle into your chair. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, went down, I, I've gone on YouTube okay. and I've gone specifically, I'm going to talk about Natalie Weiss on YouTube. Oh, shit. You went down there. Yeah. How so, good is she? She's so fucking good. So yeah. I've been a fan of hers. Like she's on a JRB album, I yeah. think, and like he, she, he has written a song for her before. And so like that, that was kind of my introduction to her, like yes. just from being a massive Jason Robert Brown fan. And so her as a vocalist mostly. Yes. But now like she's still a vocalist. She still performs and everything. But like what she's sort of really known for is she's an amazing vocal coach. Yeah. Like incredible. And um, so she became really popular on YouTube. She had this series that was called Breaking Down the Riffs. Mm. So I'm specifically going to link to that series. She doesn't really do it anymore like she used to. Yeah. But there are there is like 30 videos on there yeah. where she like just like minutely breaks down these famous riffs. And it's about, I would say, half and half like pop music and musical theatre. So, you know, like there's Beyonce riffs on there, but there's also like, you know, like Astonishing yes. or like, you know, Katina um, yes. Miller in, in Pippin or, you know, things like that. So it's like it's a really good kind of half and half mix. Mm. Um, and it is so good. And often she's got guests on there with her that she sort of helps them do it. And like Ben Platt is on there doing one and yeah, like people nice. like that. So um, there's some really good ones. So I've like listed all of those. Yeah. And she teaches them in a really understandable way. Um, she's awesome. She's so good. And then I'm also linked to a video of her specifically. So she'll often post videos of herself coaching like her private students and stuff like that, like little things like that. But um, she did a video and she had a coaching session with Catherine McPhee, you know, mm. who we've talked about before, who was in Waitress yeah. and, and stuff like that. And Smash. Like, Smash, exactly. And so, like, for me personally, like, I didn't love her in Waitress, but vocally she was very good. It was just for me it was, like, her acting that I didn't really connect yeah, to. Yeah, she's a bit of a lightweight, I think. Yeah. But, like, she has a great singing voice, particularly for that, like, pop musical theatre yeah. sound, right? It suits Waitress perfectly. Exactly. And so um, – but this video is great. Then she's mostly working on um, Never Enough mm. from Greatest Showman. Yeah. And it's like – like, A, like, props to Catherine McPhee for her allowing her to put that, like, just on the internet. Yeah. Like, and, and stuff. But, like, it is amazing, like – the way she's just like, ah, make this little change and make this little change. And it's, it's like sort of a super cut of their Makes coaching such a session. Yeah. And it really does. Like you see her sort of accessing parts of her voice that, yeah, you just like don't normally see her do. That's so cool. So I've linked to both of those. But, yeah, Natalie Weiss, I just – she's awesome. She's very talented. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I, a good one. She's real – A, she's just like – she's so good at just like saying like, here's what you need to be doing with your voice and like here's where it is at this point. And, yeah, yeah it's really cool. Yeah. She's yeah. very articulate. But yeah. also, like, just watch videos of her performing too. She's, like, an incredible singer. She's insane. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Um, I'm going to recommend a documentary. Oh. One of <laughs> this documentary that I adore. I don't know how I haven't already recommended it. Yeah. It's called Elaine Stritch, Shoot Me. Oh, yes. Yeah. I know I talk about Elaine Stritch a lot. 
For good reason. Yeah, she's the queen. You should firstly definitely make sure you've listened to Elaine Stritch at Liberty, which yeah. I will link to, but this doco is just so her. Like it's yeah. so her. She is such a badass. Um, she's had some really bonkers experiences in the industry. Yeah. And she just knows everyone and everyone loves her. Like she's just, yeah. Oh, man. So the unfortunately the documentary is on Netflix in the States, but I'm pretty sure you can rent it on Amazon. Oh, cool. It's great. It's worth it. It's when she was living at the Carlisle, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, so it's so like old school New York as it's, well. Um, it was EP'd by Alec Baldwin. That's So right. it was like during her 30 Rock years. Yeah. Um, and like Tina Fey's on there and a couple of other like also like big Broadway people as well. Like it's just a really good doco. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Should we talk about some shows? Sure. You're first. Am I? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Today I'm going to talk about Aida. What a surprise. Right. Specifically though, known as Elton John and Tim Rice's Aida. No Disney. Hyphen. Oh. <laughs> the Timeless Love Story. The Timeless Love Story. <laughs> it's so funny what things are named, don't you reckon? I love subtitles. <laughs> so Aida, I'm just going to call it Aida. But no mention of Disney there. No. Mm, right? Interesting. Isn't that interesting? I think that's the power of Elton John. But also like... I don't think Disney felt like it needed – like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not a, a family show That's so much. right. Yeah. Well, so um, I'm going to talk about that. But, like, I'm just going to call it Aida. Just know that that's not the name of it. Elton John and Tim Rice's Aida, The Timeless Love Story, is a 1998 book musical by Elton John and Tim Rice. Well, Sir Elton John and Sir Tim Rice. <laughs> Sorry. It's based on the Verdi opera of the same name. In fact, actually, this was interesting. I didn't know it. It's actually based on a children's storybook version of the opera written by the soprano um, Leontine Price. Oh. So Leontine Price is this um, classic, beautiful soprano who played Aina, Aida in the opera. Yeah. And then wrote like a, a children's version. Oh, of, I love that. I know. So this is what is the um, the main basis of the story. So Disney acquired the rights and approached Elton John about doing another animated feature not long after The Lion King. Mm. Um, so, but after The Lion King, Elton John just didn't want to do another film. Like he just wasn't interested in that. He'd already done it. So he then suggested a Broadway show. Yeah. And that's how it became instead of like a, a Disney animations, I think it was a Disney theatrical project. Yeah. Um, but it was never intended that way to begin with. So um, Tim Rice signed up straight away. And even though Elton John was really funny at the beginning apparently he was like oh I don't know about doing Aida because opera people are really funny about adaptations <laughs> and I mean he's probably right but they did it anyway yeah so the plot um Radames is the captain of the Egyptian army and he's the fiance of Amneris the daughter of the pharaoh he captures a bunch of Nubian 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 women did you know do you know what Nubia is it's Explain it to me, sort it's, of. Well, it's like a it's like a region of Egypt, right? Like, but at the time, was sort of like like outcasts. Yeah, yeah. That's the best that I could possibly explain it. If someone has a better explanation, let me know. So anyway, Radames captures a bunch of Nubian women and is sort of instantly interested in one of them. Her name is Aida. Unbeknownst to him, Aida's the daughter of the Nubian king. There's a lot of tension at the time between the Egyptians and the Nubians um, and Aida is sort of given as a gift to um, Amneris as a handmaid. So she's in captivity and she's sort of given to Amneris as a we handmaid. Do Aida, the handmaid's tale. <laughs> <laughs> well, pretty much is. Yeah. All the women get fucked. Um, <laughs> 
Anyway, Amneris and Aida bond, which is yeah. unexpected. Meanwhile, though, Aida and Radames fall in love. Of course, because it's the timeless love story, everyone. Yes. Um, it's very operatic. It's just like impossible love, of course. Shenanigans ensue. The drama culminates in Aida trying to flee Egypt and realising that she has to give up Radames because it's more like her, her country and her family are more important than love and also he's in this impossible position. Um, they are, though, caught and sentenced to death before she can escape and before Radames can go through with his marriage to the pharaoh's daughter. Yeah. So they're sentenced to death to be buried alive in separate locations. Casual. It's pretty rough, eh? Right? Yeah. At the last minute, though, Amneris, who is the future pharaoh, um, feels sorry for them and she lets them die in the same tomb together, which is really nice. No. But also, like, ensures that they will constantly be seeking each other's souls into eternity. And there's this nice moment where Radames is like, Aida, I will, I will keep finding you, like, whenever we are reincarnated right. or whatever. It's, I suppose it's romantic. As they're being buried alive. Yeah. So the show ends with them being buried alive but it all goes into modern time and like it's a modern couple in like a museum. We we believe it's Aida and Radames. It's played by the same actors. They find each other again and fall in love again. Right. So just the, as like like this, is there a song happening then, or is it just kind of like a little well, like vignette? It's a vignette, but also that's how the show begins. So the show opens in a museum, and like they're looking, the people in the museum are looking at like an Egyptian, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like exhibit. Exhibit. Yeah. Yeah. And then the show ends in like the same scene. Right. So it's like a bookend. Yeah. But I think the implication is like they will constantly be reincarnated yeah. through time because they're a timeless couple right. from a timeless love story. <laughs> Elton John Sub-titles, and Tim Rice. And so, you know. love story. <laughs> so that's the basic plot. Bit of a bummer. So yeah, I see why it's not a Disney family. Yeah, <laughs> I just think it's. I just think it was really interesting that period of Disney theatrical where it was kind of like we don't really know. Yeah, what are we? Because like even you know like they had a few you know like Tarzan was a flop yeah. and like you know Little Mermaid wasn't that successful. No, so I think it's just some interesting stuff. It is strange. I mean, this is this is a lot earlier. Like this is really off the back of Lion King. Yeah, is that right? It's huge success. And Beauty and the Beast, I guess as well. Yeah, well, so yeah. this is pretty much straight after Lion King. The like the film came out, so they're yeah. like, shit, let's do it. Let's do this. Um, so, yes, yeah, some background, Elton John and Tim Rice began working on the show in 1994. Wow. Which is really early. Also, that's even like pre-Lion King, right? Well, or not, not, not pre the, the film. That's no, right. Yeah. But um, pre the stage show, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And a first reading of Aida was presented to the Disney bigwigs in 1996. Okay. Then it had a, like a two-and-a-half-year development period before it actually had its first full like staged production. Yeah. It did that state first like stage production in Atlanta and was originally called Elaborate Lives, The Legend of um, Aida. Right. Pretty random. Yeah. Um, this Atlanta production featured Heather Headley as Aida, Hank Stratton as Radames and Sheree Renee Scott as Ooh. Amneris. Poor Hank Stratton. I know. He got so – yeah, so foreshadowing he gets bummed out. But, I mean, who is Hank Stratton anyway? Yeah, I'm afraid I think I he's an English name. actor. Okay. So this production featured several songs which were cut from the final Broadway, spoiler, it goes to Broadway, the final Broadway production. The original Atlanta staging also conceived of the play with a nearly empty set, displaying only, you'll love this, a six-ton gold pyramid-shaped set piece in the centre. Oh, my God. So that was all that was on the stage. This set piece was driven by hydraulic controls um, and the pyramid sides and bottom could be turned and rotated to, like, change locations. Mm. However, listen to this, the piece 
which was constructed at a price of nearly $10 million, frequently broke down. <laughs> and um, like after it finished in Atlanta, because it was just such a pain in the ass, a whole new designer was like a new production designer was employed for the next run because they were like, we cannot sustain this wow. $10 million piece of shit. Literally nothing from the original Atlanta set remained like in the subsequent productions. So a new revised production opened in November 1999 in Chicago and ran through to January 2000. Um, And the the AIDA producers made like huge changes to its team. So it basically had like a brand new team. A lot of the cast remained the same except for Radames who Adam Pascal came in on the Chicago lake. Right. So Adam Pascal came in to play Radames. The title also changed to the classic that we now know, Elton John and Tim Rice's Aida, The Timeless Love Story. (laughs) (laughs) And the show then premiered on Broadway at the Palace Theatre in 2000. So Mm. it opened in March 2000 and it closed in September 2004. Yeah, it had... A long run. A long. That's 30 previews and 1,852 performances. Yeah. It's like in the top 40 longest running Broadway shows. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes. Considering the the success of, well, in inverted commas, success of other Disney shows. Yeah. Like this is a very successful Disney theatrical yeah. show. Yeah. Probably second, I mean, I'm just making this up now, second probably to Lion King. No, it would be like, well, no, like Lion King, Not Beauty now. and the Beast. Oh, Beauty oh, and like the Beast. Oh, like at the time? Yeah. Yeah, no, because Beauty and the Beast ran for a long time. I don't know why. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, you don't like it, do you? It's just a bit of a mess anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know. Will we talk about it? Probably not. <laughs> so producers considered Aida a financial success. It recovered its investment in 99 weeks, which actually is a long time. Yeah, like that's almost two years. Although yeah. it would be pretty massive probably. Well, yeah. It generated a profit of over $12 million. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not bad, I suppose. Yeah. That's full profit. Um. So Heather Headley originated the role of Aida. She's so good. She's so good. I saw her in the Colour Purple revival. Oh, she would have been so good. Yeah, she replaced Jennifer Hudson. Yes. And, like, I thought Jennifer Hudson was quite good in that role. She's a lot older than Jennifer Hudson. That's interesting. Is she? Yeah, she's, like, 55 now. Oh, okay. God, she looks good. She does. Yeah. Um, those Is it Shug? Shug Avery, yeah. Yes. That's the singer's name, right? Yeah. She she's, played her. Um, I don't know if you – this is a sidebar. So Heather Headley was recently in a Netflix show called Sweet Magnolias, oh, I which was know released it. like in the height of, of lockdown. And I watched it purely because like I was like, whatever, fuck, yeah. fucking whatever. It was just like the most sappy daytime piece of Hilarious. shit ever. But she was in it and like for what it is, it was very enjoyable. Did she sing? She didn't sing. Because oh. as soon as it as – so, she's the reason why I watched it. I was like, well, Heather Headley's in it. Yeah. But yeah, there was no singing. God, she does have a delicious so speaking good. voice, yes, though. Yes, true. And she true. has a great presence. So. Yeah. And, like, I remember seeing her in Colour Purple. And, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember it was, like, Jennifer Hudson was, like, really good she in that She doesn't have that gravitas, though. But, like, oh, my God, Heather Headley was just, like, yeah. a demon on stage. Like, she was so good. Yeah. And that was, like, obviously she was, like, sharing the stage with Cynthia Revo. Yeah, big people. And like that, is it Danielle Brooks? Yeah. Yes. Who played... Um, the other character as well, and they were all so good. Yeah, that oh would have been God. such a production to see. It was incredible. I'm pretty jealous. You, I, I, you should be. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I am. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, Heather Headley actually won both the Tony and the Drama Desk Award for Best Actress in a Musical in 2000. Because nice. she was so good. She also was just, like, just widely acclaimed. Yeah. As just the best thing in the show. Um, 
Adam Pascal played the role of Rana Mays in both the original Broadway cast and the original opening and closing productions of Aida on oh, Broadway. Nice. So he yeah. came back in 2004 to close the show. And Cherie Renee Scott, who had been with the project since the very beginning, um, was named Most Promising Actress in 2000 for her performance. Because she was really only just like just – Well, like that's pre-last five that's years. That's right. Yeah. So it's really sort of the beginning. And it's a big – Amneris is a big role. Yeah. Um, the Broadway production was nominated for five Tonys and it won four, including oh, okay. Best Actress for Headley, Best Score, um, Best Scenic Design and Best Lighting Design. That's like pretty good. It's pretty good for Disney too. Yeah. Yeah. The original Broadway cast recording also won a Grammy for Best Show Album. Oh, cool. Yeah, I know, right? So subsequent productions, there was a really successful US national tour that ran from 2001 to 2003. Interestingly, the show has never had a professional run in the UK. Yeah, that's weird. Isn't that weird? I wonder if it's like snotty opera people who, I don't know. Fascinating. I don't know. It's so weird. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, there is a revival set to go for 2021 directed by former ensemble cast member Shell Williams. Also, Camille A. Brown has signed on to choreograph. Oh, yes. Which is so exciting. Yeah. Because we, we love her. Um, at the same time, the Metropolitan Opera has also added Aida, the opera, to its 2021 program. Like just by coincidence or? I assume, although I don't know the ins and outs of that decision. Yeah. I'm I mean, more, I, I was not in that assume, meeting, Ruth. I assume that they do that one pretty regularly. I can only imagine, although. This it gets piece, done pretty regularly here. Yeah it, yeah, it does. It does. So pretty much unanimously, it got really great reviews. Like everyone just really loved it. Mm. And I think it's interesting. It's an interesting one because it, popularly it is just called Aida. And I think Elton John was right that generally it's not really done to do a remaking of an opera. No. Like, and it's not really appreciated by those people who would like the opera. Yeah. But Aida was really, really successful. Yeah. It's like that and Rent. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that's yeah. it. Yeah. I have a theory, this is completely unsubstantiated, that it's basically the presence of Elton John, like even just having his name attached to something, but also that he is such a great songwriter and the music in Aida is so varied yeah. and interesting. Um, also like... To set a musical in sort of ancient Egypt is really cool. Yeah. I think that's so, a cool setting. Something I love about Elton John, which is just sort of random, is that he he never writes lyrics, right? Like no. it's like he, yeah. he only writes music. But doesn't he like famously abstain from lyrics? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, no, he's the music. Like there's the music. That is not my job. But like it's okay because Tim Rice is like one of the greatest lyricists of all time. Right. Definitely. Such a good pairing. Yeah. It yeah. is a really good pairing. It is I a good. Agree. It's a, it's a surprising pairing, I think. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the music a bit. Like the Lion King, the music of Aida is really not defined by one particular style. Yeah. It's also very Disney in that way, I think. Particularly like when you consider later the Little Mermaid that was quite sort of multi-styled. Yeah. Like it is a classic Disney thing to do. There are some really clear African and Middle Eastern influences, um, but also some cool nods to Motown. It's just a really diverse score. Mm. I, I think it really works. Um, some fun facts. This one is interesting. During the Chicago run at the Cadillac Theatre on November 13th, 1999, a set mishap during the final moments of the performance injured Headley and Pascal. Oh. So, and by final moments, I mean they're dying in a tomb. Right. <laughs> so according to an eyewitness report, while the two actors were being conveyed in a suspended box-like tomb at the climax of the show, the set piece fell. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I think what had happened, like 
um, the tomb sort of like was lifted up like on a fly line. Yeah. And then it just like collapsed. So it fell eight feet. (gasps) Jesus. So um, they apparently just sustained minor injuries and they, but they had to go to hospital. Like they were carried off to hospital for it. Um, Yeah. From then on though, the tomb stayed on the ground. Right. (laughs) So yeah, no more suspending the tomb. Yeah. Yeah. some other interesting facts in that original Broadway production, pop stars including Deborah Cox, Tony Braxton and Michelle Williams played the role of Aida. I knew Deborah Cox had, yeah. Yeah. Um, and in 2007 there were talks of a film starring Beyonce. Oh. But that um, didn't eventuate. No. Which is a shame. I think Beyonce would be a good Aida. She'd be great, yeah. Yeah, really good. Um, so some gateway songs for you. Yes. I think you should listen to Easy As Life. Yep. It's such a banger. Yeah. It's also like the major complication in the story, I think. Yep. Also, and this was actually a really tough decision, I think My Strongest Suit yep. and Dance of the Robe are the ones. So I've also, yeah, I think those three will give you a really clear picture of the style of the show yep. and sort of the range of music. It'll also, It's also a good introduction to sort of those two major female characters. And I've added on a sneaky fourth um, and it's called Radame's Letter. <laughs> Did you know this from Mixtape? I think I have. Yeah. I love it so much. It's Adam Pascal at I Think His Sweet Sweet Best. Yes. Because I really love him. You made me a mix CD, I'm going to say, almost 20 years ago. And I like shoehorned this song and into it. And this was on the mix CD. You've like, loved this song forever. Forever. I love it so much. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful, like understated song. It's pretty much what your eyes should be. yeah so that's what i think there is another mention um i know the truth which is and there is like sort of 11 o'clock number where she finds out that her fiance is in love with her handmaid it it was nominated for all these like best song of the year and like all these because it's a beautiful song it's a really lovely ballad but i don't think it's a gateway song okay yeah cool yeah, that's Aida. Awesome. That was a brief one, I know, but it's what, I actually um, really love Aida. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you love about it? Well, I think, firstly, I think the music and also like the, that original Broadway cast are really good. Yeah. Like to have those three, because Cherie Renee Scott on this recording is so good. Yeah. Like you don't realise, I think, when you listen to her in the last five years, how how sort of belty she can be. Right. In like in like a Motowny way, yeah, yeah. She it, goes, she's so she's, good. And I think it's surprising. Something about the tone of her voice almost makes her sound like she's going to be a lightweight, but mm, she's not a lightweight. Interesting. Like, there's no surprises that Heather Headley can belt the shit out of anything, yeah. but she's also got that like depth to her voice. Yeah. Whereas I think with Sheree Renee Scott, it's a surprise. Yeah. And obviously, I love any show that has a rock tenor in it, oh. and that's what Adam Pascal is. And isn't because Anaris has almost got. Like, Stronger Suit is like a comedy number, isn't it? Yes, it like, is. Yeah. yeah. So she kind of gets to show those chops off a bit as well. Yes. And and as we know, she's really funny. Yeah. Like, she's the comedic relief really in the whole show because otherwise it's a pretty it's sad It's a pretty story. dark show, right? Yeah. yeah, it is sad. Yeah. Have you ever seen a production of it? Just the community theatre production that yeah. um, was on here a few I years ago. I missed that one. Did you? And I'm really sad because I have always loved Aida. Yeah. And I wanted to go to it. Yeah. But no, I didn't. it was – they did a really good job. Yeah. That was the only time I've ever seen it. In fact – I don't. I know the few songs that you like forced me to listen to when we were fifteen. Um, <laughs> Sounds like and, me. And, and like I like those songs a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's one of those shows that just for whatever reason I've never, yeah, like you know, really had to like 
listen to it for any yeah. reason, so I haven't. I think that, like, I would love to see a professional production of it. Me too. Um, but it's it's so sort of rarely done. Like, it's yeah. never been done in Australia. Yeah. It's never been done in the UK. Do you remember how you found it? I was trying to think because I was going to introduce it that way, but I can't remember. Yeah. But I know I was really young. Just you had the cast recording. Yeah, like I had the cast. That's it. That's yeah. all I know. I don't know how. Yeah. I'm sure that it came after Rent because I went I, – I know you'll remember this. I fell in love with Adam Pascal pretty hardcore <laughs> and I think I just tracked down everything that he had ever done. Yeah. Well, that probably is it. I think know. that's how I got it. Yeah. So, yeah. You were like, what else is my what sweet – What else? My sweet darling. Do you remember darling. we had like his like EP that he'd done? Yeah, I still listen to yeah. it. Yeah. I love him so much. Oh, I mean, that's why I watch Water School of Voice. Rock. Yeah, he's randomly right. in that. That's right. So <laughs> random. What are you going to tell us about? I am going to talk about the wedding singer. Oh, here we go. Okay. Okay. Do you think the listeners are like, "Fuck off"? No, I think good. they're like, "What a great show." <laughs> you know that's that what that's not what people like. think. I will say that I think this is maybe a bit like my love for the Wild Party in the way that it's like, I I just. I've never actually seen this show on stage, right? Not even a community theatre production or anything. Yeah. But like, and yet you want to stage it yourself. I do. I really want to direct this show, everyone. <laughs> but like in judging it just by the cast recording, I'm always like, why isn't this sh- show done more? Like I just, I don't really get it. But, and like, why wasn't it more successful? Anyway, the score is full of fucking bangers. Like the <laughs> score true. is so good. It's true. It's so good. Um, but so like my only impression is that like the book is maybe not great. It must be because if you, if you just took it on the power of the score. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Anyway. So wedding singer. (laughs) You're you're all flushed and excited. I've loved this show forever. I like ever (laughs) since first listening to the cast recording, I've just been like, what a pump and show. Well, you love the movie, right? Sure, but, like, not, like, more than any other, like, fuck, you know, late 90s, early 2000s romantic comedy. Oh, <laughs> like, see, I think it's quite an exceptional movie in that, oh, like, you? in that category. Yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't say I have any of those movies as, like, my favourites that I would oh, always no. go back to. I, I mean, nor do I. They're all pretty good. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so The Wedding Singer, based on the 1998 film of the same name starring Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Yes. Music by Matthew Sklar, lyrics by Chad Beglin and a book by Beglin and Tim Herlihy. So we haven't really talked about those composers before. No, so say, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background to them. So Sklar and Beglin also wrote the scores for Elf and The Prom together. Oh. So The Prom, you know, they're making into a net, like at the, it's being made at the yes. moment, a Netflix movie and like Meryl Streep's in it and James yes. Corden's in it. And yeah, um, it was on Broadway a few years ago. Um. And Beglin wrote the book and additional lyrics for the Disney's Aladdin. So speaking of Disney, yes. um, uh, the stage, obviously because um, Howard Ashman Had is no longer away, with us. Yeah. So, yeah, so he did those for the stage version. Tim Herlihy, who wrote the book, is an interesting one. Like he, I know that name. Well, so he – it's his only Broadway credit hmm. and he is an incredibly successful um, writer and collaborator of like Adam Sandler's. Ah. So he wrote the film. Yeah, right. Yeah, and he is also um, – he wrote for Saturday Night Live for yes, years. Yes, okay. And he has written or co-written many successful films um, with Adam Sandler, including Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, The Waterboy, Big yeah. Daddy, and, of course, The Wedding Singer. Yeah, okay. So, like, that, he's, like, mostly, like, a comedy writer. Yeah. And, like, he has bit parts in all of those films. And well, it's really, like, Adam Sandler's posse – like yeah, the Adam well, I think, but I also think right? like he's his main like writing Writer. collaborator. Yeah. yeah, 
Um, so the story. So our protagonists are Robbie Hart, a wedding singer in New Jersey, who is left at the altar at the beginning of the show by his fiance Linda, basically like for not being a rock star. Like she's like, oh, I you're just it. a wedding singer. Um, I, I, I wanted to marry a rock star. <laughs> so she leaves him at the altar. Um, our other protagonist is Julia Sullivan, who is dating a like a skeezy Wall Street jerk whose name's... His last name is Gulia. Yeah, Jen, Jen, Glenn. Oh, my God. Glenn, Julia, <laughs> Gulia, and waiting endlessly for him to propose, right? Yeah. Um, and basically, like, he does propose and in the meantime, like, Robbie and Julia become friends and inevitably they fall in love like while Julia's planning her wedding to Glenn. And like that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's not particularly heavy on plot, let's put it that way. No, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's part of its charm. Yeah, exactly. So production history. So the musical had a pre-Broadway run at the Fifth Avenue Theatre in Seattle in February 2006 before starting previews at the Al Hirschfeld Theatre, which is where – Kinky Boots was, it's where oh. Moulin Rouge was when COVID shut it down. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like very common theatre. Um, 30th of March 2006 and it ran until the 30th, 31st of December 2006, running oh. 284 performances. So it's not actually, very long. But it's longer than I thought. Like Is I that? thought it was sort of a big flop. I mean, it really wasn't yeah. like. Like it would have lost most of its money. Yeah. Um, but, but that's yeah, not it was like, like a, that's it was not merrily... what, like nine months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was it was nominated for five Tony Awards, which oh, I shit. didn't realise. Yeah, yeah. They're like the same amount as Aida. Like, wow. Yeah. Did it win any? It didn't win any. Oh, okay. Um, it was so nominated not the same for, amount as Aida. No. <laughs> it was nominated for Best Musical, Best Book, Best Score, Best Leading Actor for Stephen Lynch, who played Robbie, and Best Choreography. Uh, the nominees for Best Musical that year were The Wedding Singer, mm. Jersey Boys, which won. Won, yeah. Um, Drowsy Chaperone and oh. The Colour Purple. Oh, so uh, really. Good year. That's a good year. Yeah. It's also pretty cool that it got nominated for Best Musical. I agree. Like Aida didn't get nominated for Best Musical. Didn't it? Oh, no. that was one of the, Okay, wow. Yeah. Um, so there, there has since been a couple of like non-equity North American tours. Yeah. Um, and interesting like like three UK tours. Like it's – it's and including like one that was like on at the beginning of this year in 2020. Actually, I think a friend of mine produced one of those. Oh, really? Yeah, one of those tours. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I guess it's just one of those things where it's like that is the sort of thing that would probably do well like in the regions in yes. the UK, you well, know? it's like, well, let's go see this. We've heard of the wedding scene. Yeah, exactly. And it's not Greece, which we've seen 70 times. Yeah, exactly. Well, one of the things that I um, like really like about the show and part of the reason I think it doesn't get done that often is it's just – like very fluffy, oh, like yeah. a bit like no nine substance. to five. Yep. You know what I mean? Like it's just not very serious at all. Yeah. You know, so it's one of those things like even shows that you consider to be really light and fluffy like Hairspray, but they still, still have really some depth Serious undertone, yeah. Exactly. So I see it as quite – because nine to five I've also always been like, why doesn't this show do better? It's got a great score mm. and it's really funny and fun. It's but I think fluff. people need something – like a bit more heart sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that I actually don't think this has as much heart in it as the movie does, for example. Because I was going to say this, like the movie does have those moments. Yeah. In a way that Adam Sandler films don't normally. No, and I just think part of that just comes from like Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler have really good chemistry on screen. They as do. is evidenced by like their other films together as well. Yeah. And just, yeah, like it, it just really worked, mm. um, the movie. And I don't think that that has necessarily translated to the stage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it's just interesting because I do think that that's one thing that mm. it doesn't have. Um, interestingly, a production in Melbourne, like a professional production in Melbourne has been announced for, it was supposed to happen this year. I did not know that. Has now been moved to 2021 at the Athenaeum Theatre. Huh. I don't think it's like, um, 
I think it could be like new, new independent producers kind of thing. Okay. Like not necessarily like the normal producers that would sure. do something professional in Australia. Yeah. Um, so a few fun facts. So there are two songs from the film that appear in the musical. Somebody Kill Me Please <laughs> and Grow Old With You, which are both co-written by Adam Sandler and Tim Herlihy. Do you remember um, that we had, we had those on like one of our mixtapes back when we were kids? Oh, like, like from we, the original film. I think we had um, Grow Old With You. We had that on one of our mixtapes. That, like that we made for each that other. That we made for each other. Amazing. <laughs> um, and in fact, Grow Old With You, which was written for the film and is and is also in the show, is like an incredibly popular first dance song at weddings. Like oh, still. Nice. Yeah. Like I've been to weddings where that's been the first dance song. I actually, I remember seeing this film and being like, and knowing that Adam Sandler had written those songs and obviously performed them, he's Apart from being like a big douche and a Republican, he's very talented. He? Yes. I didn't know that. A Republican. You know, I've seen him do stand up live. Have you? Yeah. So I went to this um, comedy thing. Uh, one of the times I was there for um, a trip for work, it was during the New York Comedy Festival. So I tried to go to quite a few things. I saw Sarah Silverman do stand up. Like there yeah. was like quite a few things. But one of them was um, Judd Apatow, you know, oh, the yeah, very yeah. famous producer and, yeah. and writer had started as a stand-up comedian and him and Adam Sandler were like roommates back when they were like kids. And basically he, yeah, so John Apatow was like, well, I've, I've had this whole film career. I want to go back to doing stand-up. And so he has started doing stand-up now like wow. as part of his career because he was just like, why not? That's mm. what, it was my first love. And as part of that, he like was like, I'm going to bring out a really special guest. And the special guest was Adam Sandler doing stand-up for the first time in 20 years. Fuck. Yeah. And it's so a he big came deal. Out. Was he good? Yeah. It, I mean, because, like, this is the thing. His stand-up was just comedy songs. Yeah. Um, and he did um, – yeah, he did a few, like, famous ones that he'd done on SNL and stuff. Yeah. And then he did the song that um, he wrote for Chris Farley after he died, which is actually, like, a beautiful song. Oh, wow. Which he's since done on a few things. I don't think I've seen it. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll he's find very it. Talented. I'll link it as well. Like, it's beautiful. I know a lot of people really, like – I didn't know he was a Republican, though. Oh, it hurts, hell. doesn't it? Yeah. But, like – I, I love his serious films like Uncut Gems, that recent one. I so still haven't good. seen it. I oh, know. He's very clever. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, so some more fun facts. So during the Broadway run, they offered family-friendly matinees where the swearing and stuff was cut out, <laughs> which I was like, I don't know of another show that's well, like. Well, in that like, I'm on my knees. Yeah. All that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also like. Yeah, I was just kind of like, I don't have another show that like, I know of shows that have done like more adults only versions when they do like a midnight show, <laughs> but not really like the Family opposite. Family friendly. Yeah. It's a cool idea. Yeah. Sorry, I think I just flashed you then. Uh, I can't see there's a piano in the way. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I've just got my dress up. Okay, cool. <laughs> Laura Benanti, well, it is a video podcast now, so that's awkward. <laughs> Laura Benanti, who played Julia, um, has since gone on the record to say that, like, while she loved the show and loved doing it, she didn't actually think she was a great she's fit for the role. She's not the right fit. Um, because, like, it is a pop score yeah, yeah. and she's, like, a legit soprano. Like, it's such a weird yeah. it's such a weird choice. And I think just, like, earlier on in her career, she, she, was, she was the real it girl around this yeah. time, right? Yeah. And I just think she was kind of saying yes to things, not necessarily th thinking about whether she was right for them. Yeah. And then in her later career, she's really... But also, like, that's not her responsibility. That's right. That's someone else's job to go, actually, no, I don't think we need a legit soprano. I think we need a pop singer. Yeah, and also I think that, like, it, it also, like, hurt her voice quite a bit, I think. Oh, because, yeah, it like, would. You know, like, yeah, that's just not her voice. No. Like, she was... I saw her as Eliza Doolittle in Michael yeah. Lady. Like, that is her role. Like, yeah. like that sort of thing. That's her and voice. she loves me, like... Yeah. Yeah, like that is the sort of stuff she should be doing. Yeah. But yeah, so that makes sense to me. And from what I've read, 
a lot of like that is sort of was the case. Like, it's also like my biggest complaint with listening to it is yeah. her voice. Yeah. She's got a beautiful voice. It's just not right. Yeah. Yeah. You sort of, yeah. You don't necessarily want someone going to be belting it out like Amy Spanger is as the sister. Yeah, no. But it's like it just needs to be a bit poppier. Yeah, you just want that tone. Yeah. You just want a brighter tone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, as we often do researching these shows, I got lost in a Broadway world message board like spiral. How good are those message boards? Yeah, there was a 78-page appreciation thread from 15 <laughs> years ago of Uber fans bemoaning when the show closed. Had you contributed to that thread <laughs> No, I'm probably a message did. board person, not at all. <laughs> I do like reading them though. Yes. Um, they called themselves, the fans called themselves Casualties of Love, which is a reference to a song yes. in the show, <laughs> or Wedheads. That's the oh other, like, God. word. I just loved that. I, imagine caring so much that you name the thing that you are. I know. Like, that's I love cute. it. I love it. What's the name for a person who's obsessed with the West Wing? <laughs> I don't know, but I bet there is one. Can someone please tell me? Because that's yeah. who I am. Carry Rob Lowe, on. another fucking Republican. Uh, disgusting. Disgusting. Hey. Anyway. How could he have been in the West Wing and not changed his I know. mind? Anyway. Anyway. Um, so Robbie was played on Broadway by Stephen Lynch, who is mostly known for being a stand-up musical comedian and, like, for example, hasn't done any other Broadway shows um, or anything like that. I think that that's quite unique and I can't really think of a musical that's done anything similar with casting like that. And I do wonder if that was partly like the Tim Hurley, like Adam Sandler yeah. connection of wanting someone that was a bit like Adam Sandler yeah. for the lead. I understand that. And I mean, he's got other, a great voice. There are other shows that sort of cast outside of Broadway. Like Once, for example, is more like where are some folk performers? Or... Yeah, although like still the people in it were very much musical theatre performers. Yes, yes. You know? Yeah. Um, but I will say that. It's interesting because, like, he's got a great voice. And, and like, I just thought it was interesting because it's, like, this weird, like, kind of middle ground. It's, like, they weren't star casting it because he wasn't – he was probably more famous in America than he is here yes. in Australia. But it wasn't, like, a stunt casting or a star casting thing and it wasn't, like, a musical theatre casting mm. thing. It was, like, this kind of weird, like – Yeah, it was, like, you were a comedian and a, and a musician, so off you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. They obviously wanted someone who could play guitar. Like, there was all those things, I'm he's sure, good. as well. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I really like him yeah. on the cast recording. Um, so Rita Gardner plays Robbie's grandmother. Yeah. And um, she raps, obviously, on, like, Move That Thing. She was the original Louisa, like, the girl in the <laughs> Fantastics in 1960. Oh, shit. Yeah, like, in the original stage version of the Fantastics. Oh, my God. Isn't that amazing? That's cool. Yeah. And this was, yeah, what, what did I say? 2005, whatever. <laughs> like, incredible. 2006. Um, Does she play Robbie's grandma? Or is she just the old woman who he tutors? Oh, so it's different in the musical than in the film. So that they that change it from the, it's like his neighbor in the yes. film. So they change it to his grandmother. He lives with her in okay. the musical. That makes more just sense. Just so that there's Less a bit convoluted. more. And it's like, yeah, it's like still for um, he. She asks him to sing. You know, yes, do the party and everything. Her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so like that's different in the musical. I think there's a couple of other changes, but not that many. Yeah. It's pretty true to the. It's pretty true to the movie. Um, there's an interesting question. I think that like a lot of the criticisms of the show are that it, it is just like ripping off 80s music. Hmm. Whereas I actually think it's, it's actually Paying quite homage. clever pastiche. Yeah. yeah. Like I actually think that it's like, like the score I think is really clever. Wow. Um, but then I'm kind of like, well, does it matter if it's a rip off or not? Like it probably doesn't. 
I completely agree. Like I think that that can't be a criticism of the show. That can be why you maybe personally don't like it. Yes. But it doesn't have – it can be a rip-off, right, of the yeah. 80s. It's set in the 80s. Yeah. It should sound like it's in the 80s. And so like my other talking point is like there was – there's this real – there was this real trend of like parodying slash paying homage to the decade that happens approximately 20 years previous to the decade that you're currently in. Yes. So like, for example, Greece was like shot in the 70s. It's set in the 50s. Yes. Like there's that real thing. And this was like in the early 2000s showing the 80s, right? Yes, yes. And interestingly though, like I feel like since the year 2000, the millennium, like since the year 2000, like it just sort of feels like one big jumble. Yeah, we've – And um, you couldn't do anything We haven't really, moved forward. No, like you couldn't really do anything post-90s. No. And I don't know if that's just to do with the technology jumps have kind of slowed down yeah. in the way that we see them or whatever. But I just don't feel like that really happens anymore. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how you could represent the early 2000s now. Yeah. Like what, what does that look like? Yeah. But maybe that's just because I – because we're not yet talking about it. Yeah. Like maybe once someone shows me the clear divisions, I would be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. But yeah, I can't think. There's nothing that sort of typifies that time the time two, period. I know. Yeah. Whereas like the 90s still feel like a very defined period oh, yeah. to me. Definitely. Yeah. Hmm. yeah it's interesting. interesting. Mm. Um, so I will link to the original Broadway cast. That's the only yeah. like cast recording that's available. Um, and some gateway songs. So I've gone for the opening number called It's Your Wedding Day. You love an opening. I do, but also it does set up the story. Yeah. Like it literally tells you what's happening. Yeah. Um, and it's a banger of a song. <laughs> um, I've then gone for the song Pop. Yeah, um, nice. Yeah. Which is basically where Julia's like, when is Glenn going to propose? Yeah. Interestingly, I did see a really great criticism I thought that was like, this is where the musical kind of falls down. Because, for example, like as an audience, we're not, we're not gunning for him to – like we don't want Glenn to propose to her because he's like our bad guy. So they shouldn't spend so any time on it. So why is this banger of a song – Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's kind of like are they musicalising the right moments yes. sort of thing. Um, and then the other song that I've chosen is the Act One Closer, <laughs> which is also <laughs> typical me, uh, which is called Saturday Night in the City. Yeah, that's a good one. And this is Amy Spanger who we've talked about before. She's in Tick, Tick, Tick Boom, Boom yeah. and she's been in a bunch of things. And um, she plays um, the sister mm. – um, uh, Julia's sister and it's like a kind of a flash dance like literally they do flash dance on stage <laughs> where she like pulls a chain and like does the head back and waterfalls on her amazing and while she's belting this like massive note at the end but again people are like that's like and don't get me wrong again it's like an amazing song but it's like shouldn't the act one closer be and, and like it, during the song it is the tension is that it's like um, they kind of realizing he, Robbie's realizing yeah, his yeah. Feel like, feelings for her and stuff. But yes, mostly the song is just her belting the shit out of this like party song. Well, who cares? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So those are the three songs that I've picked. Yeah, good choices. But yeah, like I don't know, Wedding Singer is just one of those shows that I'm just like it. It'd be so much fun to do. I reckon. I think so too. Yeah. But I like I understand that maybe audiences want some more depth, but like sometimes I also just feel like some fluff. Right? I actually think it's the perfect show for community theatres to do. Mm. Like honestly. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. So that's the wedding singer. Nice. Yeah. That was good. Thank you. Um, do you have anything else? Not really. To add. Um, I hope everyone's keeping well at home. Yes. And surviving. Yes. And not playing any woodwind instruments. Oh, yes. Or That's singing. really um You can't sing, sorry. Affected Josephine's working life. Oh my god, it makes it so hard. Yeah. I had this kid who got a clarinet for his birthday like a couple of weeks ago and he brought it into school and I was like, You have to take that oh, away. Oh no. Because he was like, Can I just show you a little bit? I'm like, No, you can't. You actually can't. Oh my god. Sorry. 
That's so hard. I know. And he was so excited about getting a clarinet. You're like, you could only play that in the comfort of your own home. I'm like, this is illegal detention. (laughs) Poor thing. Poor thing. Um, Yeah. And um, this has been my favourite musical. This is the full episode. We have our mixtapes on Thursday. Yes, come and join us for the mixtape. Enjoy those. And otherwise, you can follow us on Instagram at My Favourite Musical. Yes, you can follow us on Twitter at My Fave Musical. That's it. Or email us at myfavouritemusical at gmail.com. Yes, with uh, favourite has a U. It does because we are Australian. That's right. We You should also give us a review on um, podcasts on the Apple app. Yeah. Because why not? Why shouldn't you? Shut up. Do it. Also, it really helps us. It does really help us. <laughs> David Tennant, we're coming for you. That's right. Oh, my God. Judy Dench was on this week. Yes, shit. Wasn't it crazy? To it? It's yes. such a good episode. I love her so much. Oh, Guys, go listen to David them. Tennant. If you do nothing, just listen to that <laughs> do episode. listen to that. Instead of this, go listen <laughs> to David Tennant. Don't worry. That's fine. Yeah. Turn it off quick. Yeah. All right. Uh, have a good week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.